But what's special about customer stories is number one, they're unique by default. Uh, your competitors can take your features, they can take your branding, your design, they can even poach your people. But the thing that they can't take away is the successes you earn for your clients or help them achieve. It's our job to tell better stories. And always remember, it's the risk takers that are rewarded. People are sick and tired of being marketed to, and they're sick and tired of being sold. The single biggest story today in sales and marketing is how our customers are buying their Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to another episode of the SaaS Growth Hub podcast brought to you by growth marketing agency Advanced B2B. In today's episode, we're joined by Joel Kletke, CEO of Case Study Buddy. We invited Joel to discuss, you got it, customer stories. B2B SaaS companies need customer stories to thrive and show how they can help their target audiences. However, Quality customer stories aren't that easy to produce. So we got Joel to walk us through what makes a good customer story, how to measure their ROI, and how to align with all parties involved to get your customer story machine going. So here we go for episode 99 of the Growth Hub podcast with Joel Kletke, CEO of Case Study Buddy. Hello, Joel, and welcome to the SaaS Growth Hub podcast. How are you today? Doing good. I'm staying warm. I'm I'm uh, up early. My kids were running around on our hardwood, just <laughs> chasing each other around. So I got a, an early wake up call, and uh, I'm feeling good. I'm I'm excited to chat. <laughs> That's awesome. fantastic. Right. So we are here today to talk about your kind of bread and butter. Um. So and that is customer stories or customer case studies. Which one? Which term do you prefer? I like customer stories so much more. It's unfortunate because, I mean, the company's called Case Study Buddy, and I kind of wish, wish Customer Success Story Buddy rolled off the tongue a little better. But, I, I mean, Case Study just sounds so clinical, like you're going to wheel the customer out on a gurney. And <laughs> it sounds so cold and distant. So I like customer story because it feels more inclusive and warmer and celebratory versus like, oh, we're going to analyze you here. <laughs> That's an excellent question. Okay. okay. All right. We're going to stick with the uh, customer story then. We'll Let's try. try. <laughs> I probably won't remember, but we'll try. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So mm. first of all, uh, customer story is probably the only type of content that does not need convincing to do. Like marketing wants them, sales wants them, management wants them, CCs wants, wants them. So this might sound like a silly question considering that, but why are customer stories so important? Yeah, they're they're really important for a number of different reasons. I think number one, when you look at just the full spectrum of what they can do for you, they're really unique in that way. I mean, you can have a really great blog post that gets chopped up into different bits and what have you, but what's special about customer stories is number one, they're unique by default. Your competitors can take your features, they can take your branding, your design, they can even poach your people. But the thing that they can't take away is the successes you earn for your clients or help them achieve. So they're they're unique by default. They're uniquely yours, but they're also these full funnel or entire buyer journey assets. They can be used everywhere across that journey from awareness and lead generation through to kind of nurturing those leads and showing them the opportunities in front of them. They can be used to help close deals and convince different people who sit on buyer's boards of the efficacy of your solution or demonstrate that they're making a safe choice and that 
you know, there, there are good things to come or that others have trusted them, uh, trusted you similarly. They can also be used beyond that, though. They can be used for upselling and cross-selling. They can be used for uh, retention. They can be even used to uh, be used to win back uh, lost leads for, for sales, a way of reaching out organically again and recreating interest. So they have this massive utility. Uh, they, they have this huge sort of unique factor, this massive utility. And then also there are these bridge building assets with your customers. It's a chance for you to learn a great deal beyond just giving you a marketing and sales asset. The other things that come out of doing these stories are things like a stronger relationships to your customers when they feel heard, when they feel like they've had a chance to share their story or share their concerns or share what they'd love to see. It's a moment you can celebrate with your client when these things go live and, and deepen those accounts. Uh, product should love case studies too, because when you hear how people are using these stories, it can give you ideas for new features and new directions to go in. So that combination of utility and bridge building and uniqueness just creates huge opportunities from, from customer stories. Oh, that is a huge spectrum of yeah. where you can actually use them. And that's, it's, Ooh, that's, is that actually the reason why is it so, di it's so difficult to actually create and publish quality customer stories? Because you have to kind of pinpoint what you actually want to do, right? Yeah, I, I think the challenge is inherent. It's funny because everybody wants these, but when it comes time to operationalize these, not everybody plays ball. Everybody says, oh, we'd love more references. We'd love more stories. We'd love more of this or more metrics and stories and what have you. But all too often, then it's just, okay, marketing, go get it. <laughs> the marketing gets unleashed and says, oh, go, go chase them down. Well, in reality, I think part of what's difficult about publishing a quality story is that it's a team effort. The, the whole company to some degree needs to be aligned. And so it's difficult because as you were saying, strategy has to be there. There has to be a plan going in. You should know what types of stories are we looking for? What types of customers are we profiling? And we want to have the end in mind. What are we ultimately looking to turn this into, whether that's formats and assets or even narratives and angles and, and things like that? I think within the teams, there needs to be discussions about well, what would you benefit from most sales team? What would you benefit from most leadership? Where are we going and how will these things support that? Uh, how, how can we make sure that the things we're creating aren't just these, well, here's another win and it gets slapped onto the blog post. So I think internal team alignment is really the reason that it's so hard to publish quality stories, even more so than getting customers on board, which we know is a, is a challenge. But it's that lack of internal alignment that makes it so hard when we treat it like one team ought to be responsible for the entirety of getting this done. That makes their job very, very difficult and makes it all the more difficult for them to deliver something everyone actually wants. So that's the sad irony is everybody wants them, but not everybody plays ball or even knows how to play ball to, to get them. I, I love that because when you, you said that, you know, how why is it so difficult to make these quality stories so i'm wondering how do you look at what makes a quality customer story what 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 makes it stand out from i don't know from hundreds of i don't want to say substandard but like standard <laughs> customer yeah. stories yeah i think unfortunately there are thousands of substandard <laughs> customer stories right i think first and foremost the customer needs to be at the center this is a customer success story not a you success story. It's, it's not about your company. It's not about what you did necessarily, though you play a key role, but stories that are substandard don't put the customer in the spotlight. They're 
bullet point lists of here's what we did there. Here's KPI, KPI metric, metric. Um, there, there are these stories that kind of put all of the emphasis on what was done and all of the emphasis on here are the metrics and none of the emphasis on that human element uh, of that trajectory of there being um, a problem that somebody had and somebody experienced, not just that they had it, but what did it feel like to be there? What were the stakes of not solving that problem? What would have happened if that didn't come to fruition? And then when we get into the solution, going beyond just, oh, here's the things that we did. Well, for, for software, for example, what was unique about their deployment or the way that they used those things? For services, why did you take that particular approach? Why did you take that strategy or that angle with them? Showing the thinking behind what was done is part of what makes this valuable. And then in the results section, going beyond just, well, here's what was achieved and delving into, uh, you know, why was that meaningful? What did that make possible? You know, one of our favorite questions to ask customers in interviews is what can you do now or do better because of X solution? And it's not just, oh, we saw 70% lift or 100% more sales or what have you. What did that mean for the individual? What did that mean for their boss? What does that mean for their company? So when you have that customer at the core of the story, that's a quality story. And when you bring their words in to drive the story and to expand on the points that you're making and to really have this narrative arc instead of like, okay, here's some stats and some figures and move on to the next one. That's what really separates things. I think the last thing that I'd say is increasingly seeing different media or visuals brought in to add that credibility, whether that is video, whether that is audio, whether that is visuals, images, icons, whatever it might be, but understanding how people want to engage with the stories you're telling, that makes for a quality story too. Giving their eyeballs a break, something to look at, something to listen to, uh, that, that not only deepens the story, but helps really put the spotlight back where it belongs on the customer, on their story, on their journey. And then in doing so, you ultimately make yourself look better anyhow. So that's pretty much exactly what you said just in the beginning, that case study is actually that really clinical term and customer story brings in the humanity, you know, the warmth of what we actually want to read about because numbers and that is very, it can be very cold. Uh, and I love warmth. And I know that every <laughs> kind of most of people actually want to hear about people. We are human after all. I would hope mm. so, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I I think one of the there are so many things in your answer that we mm. we want to get to and we will um, uh, a bit later. But before we get to that point, I I kind of do want to talk about uh, the role of customer stories for for revenue and and how they serve business because you know um, I do follow you on LinkedIn and and one of my, one of the favorite quotes from you that I've seen is is this. And I quote, customer story should serve real business and revenue goals. You're not out to publish one more win or a collection of nice quotes, end quote. Yeah. I, I, that's, it's so great because I think uh, the way we, the, the way marketing or marketers usually approach um, customer stories is, hey, we have one new happy customer, so let's make a story so they can tell us how happy they are, you know? Yeah. So. Uh, can you tell us how do you make customer stories serve business and revenue revenue goals? What does that actually mean in practice? And how do you do that with warmth? <laughs> yeah. So I think it starts by identifying what those goals even are, which is a step 
most companies don't even take. We call them coverage gaps. And that is, what are the types of stories that will support the goals that you have? What are the types of stories? What are the narratives or the different goals that you have? And it's not ultimately all gonna be about you, but what are some of these things? And when we look at examples out in the wild, for example, there are different types of stories that can serve different business or revenue goals. So for example, a switcher type of story, someone who you know was on a previous platform and now switched to you. That's its own kind of story that supports its own kind of revenue goal. You can use that in comparison pages, ad campaigns, on your site, lots of different ways to showcase why you might be a better solution for a different audience or a particular market. Uh, so those switcher stories can be valuable, but there's also implementation stories, the stories of just getting going. A lot of the time we wait till they have these huge lifts and they've seen these big results, but a successful implementation, there's a lot to be learned and a lot of revenue or business that can be driven off of that because one of the key questions, especially when it comes to, again, software or, or complex solutions, how long will it take? How do I know it's going to work? How do I know they're going to look after me? Those stories answer those types of questions and they give you the opportunity to kind of preempt and, and take those objections or those nervous kind of conversations in your customer's head um, directly on. Uh, I think there are other stories about, you know, cross-sells or upsells, those types of business or revenue goals. Like if you have a premium tier, well, maybe there's an opportunity to be telling stories about someone who started on the basic tier and then upgraded and what were their consideration points and how did that benefit them and what did that look like and what were they nervous about and how did that ultimately prove valuable to them? That serves its own business or revenue goal because now you've got this story that you can use to sort of foster others to consider that upseller, to consider making that leap or, or taking that action. So it's not just about marketing goals. There are business and revenue goals that will revolve around specific KPIs, marketing qualified leads, traffic, things like that. And I think those are considerations too. Having a well-optimized and published story can certainly drive in traffic and create leads and create awareness. And so maybe you're publishing intentionally about different industries or different companies so you can capture that traffic. But I think to make this practical, how do we go do this in real life? I think it starts with conversations internally, talking with sales about what do you wish you had a story for? Where are you light on proof? Where would you love to be able to go? Ah, here, here's an example of that. Uh, when you look at product marketing, when you look at uh, marketing as a whole, what use cases today are ambiguous or poorly covered? What stories could you tell to help people see in action how your solution is being used and used successfully? I think it's talking to leadership. Where is the company going? Who are we trying to attract next? What markets might we be trying to penetrate? Who might we be trying to compete with next and looking to the future and then proactively curating stories against that? So having these conversations, documenting these different needs and then together prioritizing, okay, for this quarter, what do we focus on? For next quarter, what might we focus on? And then to bring that back to warmth, it's not about going in and forcing a narrative. It's about understanding who in your client base might actually fit that profile and then approaching them in what is ultimately a more personal and specific and warm way saying, we wanna feature you and these are the reasons why. Here's why you, here's why your account. Here's why we think your story is special, important, worth sharing. Now, instead of a blanket kind of shotgunning, hey, want to be in a story about us and maybe you, now you can be very intentional about saying, we love the work you're doing. We love the outcomes you're seeing. We'd love to showcase you in the best possible light. And you can be very specific and personal about that. And I think that improves win rates, that builds relationships, and that allows you to be more strategic in the publishing as well. So... 
how do you go about measuring the impact of a customer story or the return on investment? And and should we be looking at that for one specific type of content in, in the first place? Yeah, this is the, the hard question is how do we know it's working? How do we know the machine is is running the way that it's intended to? And I think we have to start by looking at it through the lens of we just spent some time talking about all the different ways we can deploy these. You can put them in ads. You can use them on social. You can have them in email series and cold outreach. You can have them in nurture sequences. Sales might be pulling them in on calls. You might have them posted to the site. They might be optimized. They might not be. So before we leap to like one super metric or anything like that, I think it's important to understand and take inventory for yourself of where and how are we deploying these. I think we can get quite granular when you look at things like ads, when you look at things like social, well, what metrics are appropriate there? You probably want to benchmark against other campaigns you're running. So for example, if you're using a customer story in an awareness campaign, well, how much is it clicked? How often is it viewed? How often is it engaged with? And, and importantly, though, benchmark against ads that don't include those stories, because if other things are absolutely crushing it and your stories aren't, that's okay. These don't have to be the silver bullet. But Benchmarking there is important. I think when you look at on-site, um, you know, on-site experience, I think it's very difficult. I think it's dangerous to go one-to-one -one conversion. You know, read story, goes and signs up for a demo. Sometimes that will happen, but that's not usually the way people buy. So I think we want to look at metrics surrounding things like time on-site. Are they actually con you know, consuming the story, scroll depth? Are they actually paying attention to the details? I think we want to look at traffic if you're measuring things like awareness and then you do want to look at if you're able to track it things like assisted conversions so where in that journey was a case study looked at was a case study looked at uh, one of our clients sort of looked at that metric and looked at the whole ecosystem across the buyer's journey and found that across a subset of 12 stories 2.3 million in new annual recurring revenue was influenced by case studies they were they were part of that journey but if you isolate that down to just the case study and just how many people took a demo after reading this, you would miss that. You would miss that impact. I think one of the most nebulous ways to, to measure impact, but an important one nonetheless, and I can't take credit for it. I saw someone talking about this elsewhere, but in sales, that's the tricky one because it's so anecdotal. It's like, are these working? Are these not working? Do you like them? And you can kind of get a temperature check. You can get this emotional sales like, yeah, I like the stories. They're great. I'm using them. And that feels like a win, but it's not very granular. And so one way I've heard of of late, a, a better way of measuring the impact is kind of gauging their, their confidence in their close rates, getting them to benchmark before having stories. When you see this issue or when you're talking to this type of prospect, how confidently do you feel you'll close the deal or when this objection comes up and kind of creating a, a benchmark for that. And then once you've deployed stories for some time period, whether it's a quarter or what have you come back and say, how confident are you now? And having that, that kind of puts some sort of number two, is confidence in close rates growing? Do they feel more confident when they have these conversations that they'll be able to address them? So in terms of measuring the impact, it does come down to the channel, again, things like cold outreach. How did the cold outreach series with customer quotes or customer stories in them compare to those that don't? How do they compare to each other? A lot of comparisons and benchmarking, but start the conversation by thinking, where are we deploying these in the first place? And avoid situations where you're just looking for a very one-to-one -one because no content, almost no content actually converts that way. 
All right, can you? Uh, it's really, really enlightening. Um, can we actually move to the really um, hot potato in my my world? How do you actually get the yes to actually make the case study or customer story? Because that can be sometimes super hard mm-hmm. in multiple yeah. for multiple reasons. Yeah, for for many reasons, it's it's the most common pain point we hear when we every company of all sizes. They, there's either there's two camps: either you're struggling to get buy-in and and that's your big issue, or you're not struggling to get buy-in and your challenge is now keeping up with all of the stories that you've been tasked with producing. It tends to be very dynamic. So on the buy-in side, we've already talked about what I think is a really important thing that underlies that, and that's that internal alignment. And you you can't skip that. Going in with a plan, having a goal, knowing who you're asking. I think to just quickly add to that, a couple of things that become really important are defining what does a win actually look like? What is our shared criteria? So that when marketing goes to sales or to CSMs and says, can you ask this account? And sales says, no, they're not ready yet, or the results will be better later. You have a kind of shared criteria to go, no, now is the time to ask. We're not going to allow you to deflect infinitely. So defining what a win looks like, defining you know what, uh, what and when and how you ask that's really important. And so let's talk about the ask itself. When you hear no, what you're normally hearing a response to is maybe fear, fear of what will be shared, how will I be presented, uh, fear of what will be disclosed and, and how will it be disclosed. So the first thing you need to counter when trying to get by in is fear. And the way you counter fear is by showing them that there's a process and giving them control. So letting them know, hey, you're going to have the opportunity to review a draft before anything goes live. You're going to have total power over what gets shared and how it gets shared, and nothing goes live without your approval. We make sure that's communicated all of the time. The other thing you might hear no is because there's this inconvenience factor. They're thinking, how long is this going to take? How are they going to you know, make sure that this doesn't bleed? I don't have hours of time. We have to remember our customers are as busy as we are, sometimes more so. So when you face that sort of fear of inconvenience, you want to preempt that by showing them there's a plan and saying, these are the steps involved. Here's exactly what you're going to be asked to do. Here's exactly how long we anticipate it taking. And here's exactly the deadline that we believe if you took part, we'd be able to publish or, or we're angling towards. And by showing them that there's a carefully considered plan, by showing them things like here's some of the questions that you may be asked, you can take that whole ambiguity around how long will this take and all of that. Uh, and, and really counter that. And, and the next thing that you might hear and know is, well, what's in it for me? And I think because people have become so used to case studies being so self-serving, being case studies, being here we are, raw, we're so great. That's what we're really looking for. Okay, well, how can we show them that there's a benefit in this for them? And there are different ways to come at that. Sometimes it's just a thank you, or sometimes it's just making sure that they see that they're going to be presented in the best possible light, showing them we'd love to celebrate the work you're doing. We're going to make sure we include some details on your company and your work and make you as an individual look great. Other times it is actual incentives. And you have to be careful when you're dealing in incentives, at least over in the U.S., there's whole regulations around if you incentivize a story, you have to disclose and so on and so forth. But that's not the only thing. You want to be mindful of not feeling like a bribe, like, hey, say nice things about us and, and we'll pay you some some money. So establishing a little bit of an incentive, though, can be whether it's personal, just it can be as simple as buying them a coffee for their time or giving them a small gift as thanks. Uh, we've seen people map out uh, different uh, kind of awards for different milestones within the case study process. So 
hey, if this gets to the interview stage, we'll make this donation to this cause you care about. If this gets to the publishing stage, you know, there'll be this kind of reward. And then if you share it after, there'll be this kind of reward. So there are a lot of creative ways to come at it, but showing them there's a benefit in it for them, whether that's visibility, whether that's a link on the site, whether that's a coffee gift card, it'll, it'll vary depending on who your customers are and what they care about and how high the hurdles, but countering fear, countering inconvenience, encountering this what's in it for me, that's really key to getting that buy-in. Uh, I think the, the last thing I'll say on this is when you make the ask, we already discussed this a little bit, but be specific. Why them? Why their story? Why are you asking them? Make that a very personal ask. Give it a deadline so that they can't just deflect ind indefinitely. Give it a soft deadline. Um, and then send along a sample. So show them that other people have taken part and it's, it's a beautiful kind of final product. And then give them something like a pitch packet that lays out the steps and, and disambiguates. And that's a real great way to kind of just prime them to, to take part. Are there differences in um, in the ask between if you're doing the ask internally? So if you're a marketer and you have to ask sales or customer success, you know, can we do a case study or a customer story on this account versus if you if we or sales or customer success then goes to the customer. So, you know, you talked about those three different fears and I, I assume that they both apply to both of them, but I was wondering if there are um, differences in, in what you need to consider uh, between those. In an ideal world, the person making the ask is the person most familiar to the customer. Um, it's very difficult as a marketing team to swing in from the outside and go, hey, you've never heard of us, but would you would you be in a story, you know, and, and that's part of why you need that internal alignment. You, you really need to be pulling as a team. Some of the things that marketing can do, because you can imagine sales wants to sell, CSMs, that they've got other priorities. They've got other KPIs their job are, 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 me are measured against. So some of the things you can put together are templates for making the ask, little scripts, whether it's, hey, you're on a call, here's some language you can use to kind of set the right expectation. It takes the ambiguity out of it for your team and makes them feel more empowered and more likely to ask. Or even drafting an email template. You know, like I do believe live on a call or in person is the, is the best way to ask, but email also works. And so drafting a quick little email template that sort of succinctly lays out, you know, here's an area to customize about why them, but here's some of the things, you know, the here's the pros, stocks, whatever. Having that at the ready so that they can then turn to those templates when making the ask, that helps them feel confident and, and operationalize it. So I think if you're not in a position where you can be empowering and arming your the people closest to the customer to be making that ask, then everything I just mentioned just gets dialed up even more. You have to bear in mind that you are potentially a stranger to this person. And just because they have a relationship with your company, they might not have a relationship with you. And so the, the best is to have someone they know make the ask, but barring that, just bear in mind that they will maybe be taken aback by the fact that they don't know you. See if you can involve that other person in some way, even if it's just seeing them. Uh, and then you might want to even consider name dropping. You know, this person was talking about the great success. So I, I think just the degree of resistance to those things is, is, is that much higher when it comes from someone they haven't personally interacted with previously. Um, you mentioned earlier about the kind of um, using customer stories as assets in different um, different um, um, times of the customer journey. Um, do you think that kind of um, what kind of opportunities do you actually think that companies miss with their customer stories? 
because that yeah. might not actually because in my opinion kind of in my not my opinion but my um um experience um companies tend to think that it's just that kind of uh, that one thing that will notch them over the edge you know that's the one little thing that extra push that they need to purchase we'll write it we'll publish it and that's it yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i think one of the biggest mistakes is publishing that story one way in one place one time and then calling it a day and i think the reason that happens is because there's so much work that goes into telling that story that by the time you get to publish it is like oh we're done, <laughs> uh, but you, really your work is just beginning. So some of the opportunities I think companies miss, um, really granular, really specific. Typically the heuristic a lot of companies have or should have is at minimum, I think you want a long thing, a short thing and some sort of video. And here's why the long thing is usually the thing that lives on your site. Now, just because it's long doesn't mean it's agonizing to read. You still format it for scanning, blah, blah, blah. That's the most detailed cornerstone version of the piece. It's where the most customer quotes go in, the most details about the engagement are covered. You, you wanna have something like that because for those buyers who are really skeptical or very interested in the full depth of the story, that serves them. The short thing is usually a one sheet type of asset. And the reason you want something like that is that is infinitely better for a sales team than a huge thud giant piece. When they're having these quick conversations, a slide deck or a one sheet, something very fast, even you know a succinct set of bullets on the story in that environment is more appropriate because it's something they're speaking to. If they're on a sales call and they bring up this huge post and start reading it line by line, there's no one on the planet that wants to sit through that experience. It's horrible, right? So a very succinct version gives you the opportunity to kind of deploy the story in these other environments in a more successful way. A video is the ideal. Right. Ideally, you're able to record some sort of video testimonial interaction. Well, why is that the ideal? Because no other medium lets you see their face, hear their voice, look at their body language. It is the ultimate stamp of credibility that they were on camera and took part. But it's not always tenable. But there is a type of video that is often very tenable, even when that isn't. And that's the audiogram. Normally, you will have audio recorded from that call. And you can turn that into whether it's an audiogram or a quick animated, I'm seeing more come out, uh, animated little versions of that using the customer's own voice as their own narration. But the reason for having a video is because, again, you get that credibility. It's in their own voice and, and you can either see them or, or see their story. But it also just opens up this whole other dimension of marketing opportunities. You can deploy videos in ads. You can share them on social in a different way. They play really nicely in places like Instagram or LinkedIn. So I think those are some opportunities that are missed uh, more often than not. The last one that I think should be more popular because it is such a quick lift, uh, we call it a Q&A style blog post, but it's literally taking the transfer from that call. Clean it up, give it a nice intro, give it a nice outro, and have it be an interview with X from Y about Z. And that is a great sort of piece to have that the quotes that got left on the cutting room floor for other pieces, they can all potentially live in there. It gives you some blog content that now you've got something that feels very personal and, and celebratory and, and is not a gigantic lift once you've all already done that core story. So I think there are loads of opportunities and ways to deploy. I mean, we've identified over a hundred different sort of small environments from email signatures to LinkedIn carousels and beyond, but 
if you need somewhere to start, I would I would look at a long thing, a short thing, and a video. And at bare minimum, if you have those things, you've got a world of opportunities to sort of repurpose and, and put that out there. Okay, this concludes the first part of our chat with Joel Kletke, CEO of Case Study Buddy. In part two, which we will publish roughly in two weeks, Joel will walk us through his step-by-step process to create and tell engaging stories that will hook your target audience. Stay tuned. If you like the SaaS Growth Hub podcast, remember to subscribe. You can find us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. It would mean the world to us. Cheers. <laughs>